Uh, as Freddie said, my name is uh, Jesse. I have the privilege of serving over in mission. And I don't see you very often, uh, mainly because I never get invited uh, to come here. Uh, I've been around for four years, and this is the first time I've been invited. Um, and so I guess I, I can feel good about that. Uh, and we don't have to mention that every other preacher was sick this weekend. Uh, I don't think that has anything to do with it. Uh, mission, uh, if you're tuning in, I've been told to say, uh, I am here on my own accord. Uh, and <laughs> love you guys. Hope you're doing well. Uh, we are studying the Gospel of John together tonight, chapter 13, verse 31. Uh, if you can head there, uh, that would be awesome on your phone or in your Bible. Uh, it's a simple text today. Uh, one main point. What does it mean to love one another? These will be the words from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to, to, our disciple, to, to his disciples and to us. Love one another. The first thing that is going to uh, cause a bit of a challenge, if you will, in us understanding what this means is that we use that English word love in so many different ways, right? Like, I love my wife. I do. I love my wife. And I also love A&W. Oh, onion rings, the root beer, come on. So good, right? We, we talk about tough love. We talk about people being lovely. We use this word in so many different ways. So when Jesus looks his disciples in the eyes and, and says, I have a new command for you that you would love one another. What does he mean? How are we to understand that? And how are, to be, how are we to be faithful to it? This is our, our task before us. So a one-point sermon. You guys normally do three points, but in mission, IQ level's not as high, so we stick, we stick with one. I love you guys. I love you guys. We're going to jump into John uh, 31, so uh, read it along with me here in, uh, in, in chapter 13. It says this. When he had gone out, he being Judas, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. When I was uh, a younger fella, I uh, worked at Green Bay Bible Camp. It's a Christian camp. Yeah. Whoa, look at this. Wow. A lot of you. Okay. Uh, it was a good time. I had fun. I got kicked out of that camp, though. This is where the story's going. Uh, so I was there. I was serving. And late at night, we had this brilliant idea. We were going to go zip from Kelowna to Abbotsford, quickly say hello to our families, and then zip back. And that was definitely not allowed. That broke a lot of the rules. But we thought it would be fun. And come on, what's the harm, right? We're just going back to Abbotsford, and it's, it's, it's going to be great. And so it was late at night, like 12.30, 1 o'clock. And we all get up, and we meet, and we go to the car. And we're driving out of, of the driveway of the, the property of the camp. And just before we turned onto the street, there was like this moment where we're like, do, do, do we go? Right, like, because as soon as we pull off of this driveway, like, there's, there's, no, there's no turning back. Like, if we stop now, no, no problem. But, but if we go just a little bit further, the whole plan is, is unfolding, and, and there could be a lot of trouble for us. We went, and there was a lot of trouble for us. But, but that moment, just before we rolled off of the property, is kind of the moment we enter into this scene. Jesus has just washed his disciples' feet, got, got down on, on, an, on his knees, 
Like me just doing this right now, it's kind of weird, right? You're like, stand up, dude. Like, what are, what are you doing? This, this radical humility by, by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, wraps a towel around him, washes the disciples' feet in this lovely demonstration of, of his desire to, to serve and, and not be served. And then last week, we, we studied Judas's betrayal and how, how Jesus predicted it. He knew he wasn't an unwilling victim. He was aware of exactly what was going to happen to him. And, and Judas is, is given that, that piece of, of bread and, and now now we jump into this scene and then he leaves. When he had gone out, Jesus says, now is the son of man glorified. As if that first domino was ticked over and now the plan leading to Jesus' crucifixion is unfolding. You'll notice that Jesus says in here that now is the time for what? For him to be glorified. Glorified, glory. We use that word all the time as Christians, right? We, play, we pray, God, would, you, would, you, would we glorify you in our worship? Would you, would you be glorified? Would your name be glorified? What, what do we mean? The glory of God is the, the awness of God. It's like all of his perfections and, and wondrous things about him and all his characteristics and attributes that we look at and when we see them and when we behold them and when they're revealed to us, it makes us go, wow, ah. So, so how is the cross, which is where Jesus is heading, how is this the thing that is going to glorify him? Crucifixion is horrible. It's, it's, it's evil. It's terrible. It's horrendous. It's humiliating. Jesus, are you, are you claiming that, that you're going to be glorified on, on the cross? Yes. Yes, he is. On the cross, we see the most, uh, the, the biggest, the bestest, the brightest display of the glory of God through his son, Jesus. I came across this quote recently that helps us understand and highlight that a little bit. It's, it's a, a quote from a guy named Octavius uh, Winslow, and he was a friend of, of Charles Spurgeon. And, and here's what he says. So completely was Jesus bent upon saving sinners by the sacrifice of himself, he created the tree upon which he was to die and nurtured from infancy the men who were to, who were to nail him to the accursed wood. You see, as, as Jesus heads to the cross, not unwillingly, but willingly, as he pursues his own crucifixion, we see the love that Christ has to save sinners like us. Jesus will be glorified. Jesus knows that this is where he is heading, and so we have to sit in this intensity of it, right? If this has just been kind of set in motion, what is he going to say? He, he turns to his disciples, and he's going to speak to them some important words, and here's what he says in verse 33. My children, don't you love that? My, my dear children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me. And just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. I'm sure we've all had that experience where uh, your mom or your dad or your guardian had to go away for a little bit, maybe a, a business trip or uh, maybe they were going to the store or whatever, and they look you in the eyes and they give you some really clear instructions before they go. One of my favorite additions, uh, renditions of this is uh, the, the moral dilemma as any parent gets when you pull into like a Tim Hortons or a Starbucks. 
and your mobile order is right there, and your kids are all right there, and you're like, I know I'm not supposed to leave you in here, but like you look back, and it's like, just don't touch anything, just don't move, and you quickly go and, and do the thing, right? Like when, when a parent or a guardian or someone who's in charge is going to leave their, their children for, for a season, you, you give them really important words, really clear instructions. I remember my mom was leaving one time, uh, from, and I was the youngest child, so I was home alone, and she knew I wasn't very competent. And so she opened the freezer and said, like, Jesse, Monday, there's your food. Tuesday, there's your food. Wednesday, there's your food. And she came back, Monday, there was my food. Tuesday, there was my food. <laughs> McDonald's w- was calling. But w- we, we take these moments seriously, right? So, so Jesus is going to give some instruction, give some word to his disciples as he's just told them that he's, he's going to the cross, some, somewhere where they can't go. And here's his words. Verse 34, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Wow. You catch that last part? Everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You see, before, when Jesus was walking around with his disciples, it was pretty easy to figure out who his disciples were, right? Like, there's Jesus, there's the people following him, there's his disciples. But Jesus is going away. So how is the world going to know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, those who belong to Jesus and and those who don't? By by looking from a distance, how will they know who belongs to to Jesus Christ, simple, by their love for each other. But by their love for each other. Church, do we, do we love each other? Does the world look at us and say, oh my goodness. You know, I, I'm not convinced that their view of sexuality, this one man, one woman thing is, is the best or, or even right. It's kind of outdated. But if my son or daughter grows up, and they're treated like that by that, but they're, they're loved like that from that husband, or they're loved like, like that from, from, from that wife. Man, I, I, I want that for my kid. Oh, does the world look at us the way we treat each other when we're going through the valley of the shadow of death and say, man, I don't know about this Christian stuff and, and, and Jesus and the Bible, it's such an old book, but my goodness, if, if I ever go through the valley of the shadow of death and I have to, to bury a loved one or whatever, I wanna be loved like that community loves one another. Does the world look at us and say, man, those people belong to Jesus? The task for us now is to do a little digging, a deep dive into what biblical love looks like. As I mentioned earlier, we use this word in so many ways. We define it in in so many ways. So how does the Bible define it? Or better yet, how in the person and the ministry and the work of Jesus do we see his love displayed? For that, I want to take us to another book of the Bible, 1 John. So we believe that John, the author of the Gospel of John, which we're studying, also wrote a few other books of the Bible, 1 John and 2 John and 3 John and the book of Revelation. And it just so happens that in 1 John, he spends a lot of time describing what this love looks like. 
He fleshes out this new command. And uh, one of the ways we see him doing that is in 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 7. Let me just read this to you to help you see what he's doing here. It says, Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard at that same time. It is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. See here, John is saying, when Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, he wasn't giving us this new idea that has been foreign to the people of God for the last 2,000 years, right? Like God is, God is love. God has always been about love. God has always desired that his people would love him and he would love his people. This is not a new command in the sense of a, a new idea, but there's something profound and new happening as Jesus gives this command. It has come in a new light. It has come in a new person. God's people, for the first time, have an in-flesh example of what this love looks like, which will give them the ability to live it out because they have been loved in such a way now they can go and love others. So how does John in 1 John define this love? What are the characteristics of it? Well, if you and I were to just sit down and read through 1 John a few times, I think we would see there's, there's two primary themes or, or two primary um, ingredients, if you will, of the love that Jesus had for his people. And here's the two words I wanna use to help us understand that. The love that Jesus has for us is full of grace and full of truth. Full of grace and full of truth. Let me give you a few examples from 1 John of this love that is full of grace. 1 John 3.16 says this, by this we know love, okay? So it's pretty clear he's defining it, that he, Jesus, laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. So, So what is the love that Jesus loved us with? Oh, that he was willing to lay down his life, that he was willing to to sacrifice, to show grace, to be gracious to us. Another example is in chapter four, uh, verses nine to 11. It says, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us or, or, or made visible among us, revealed to us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him in this love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. You see, 1 John is filled with examples of John describing this love in such a way as to help us see that this love was full of grace, unmerited, unearned favor to God's people. But it's also, at the same time, a love that is full of truth. Let me give you a few examples of that. First John chapter 5, verse 20 says this, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding. He's given us illumination. He's, he's given us uh, an, an ability to, to, to know that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true. In his Son, Jesus Christ, he is the true God and eternal life. Chapter 5, verse 2 to 3 says, by this we know that we love the children of God. We, when we love God and obey his commandments, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, full of grace and full of truth. A love that is willing to, to, to pursue and show compassion and, and, and love and care for even when it's undeserved and a love that delights in righteousness and obedience to God's commands and, and reality 
full of grace, full of truth. Perhaps this is summed up best in 1 John when he writes this in verse 18 of chapter three. Little children, there it is again, dear children, let us not love in word or, in word or talk, but in deed and truth, in grace and in truth. Was Jesus' love really always full of grace and full of truth? Did Jesus really, in every instance, love with the fullness of grace and the fullness of truth? Is this really something that we can somehow uh, emulate or seek to love one another and and love the world in, in such a way? Well, it's a great question, and I actually asked Chat GPT, that question. I'm a good millennial pastor. The rest of this sermon is not written by AI, I promise. I can't say the same about Freddie's sermons. Um, hey, the truth will set you free. But I asked, I asked Chat GPT a very specific question. I said, Are there any examples of Jesus showing, or, or, uh, showing grace without truth? Or, or loving in a way that is gracious but not truthful? And then I asked the same uh, the question, but said, are there any examples in, in the scriptures, in the gospels, of, of Jesus being truthful but not gracious? And it gave me two answers, one for each question. I was like, brilliant. So the first one, it said, is John chapter eight. This is an example of Jesus being gracious but not truthful. So I, I looked up John chapter eight, and we see this story of uh, a, a woman who is caught in adultery. She's guilty as charged. The religious leaders drag her out. They, 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 they pull her in and drop her right in front of Jesus and says, this woman was just caught in adultery. Guilty, 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 guilty. The truthful, the righteous, the good thing to do is to stone her according to God's good and beautiful law. Jesus, what say you? His response let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. Hmm. I'm sure people pondered and thought and slowly one by one they go away. Jesus says to the woman, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She says, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Oh, the grace. Oh, the grace of Jesus. Where's the truth? Where's the truth? Is, is, is there not a need for justice? Is there not a need for the, to call out wrongdoing? Was Jesus really full of grace and of truth? Well, let's finish that verse. Neither do I contem- condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Grace and truth. The other example it gave me was from Matthew chapter 23, where uh, it highlighted that this is a passage where Jesus is being very truthful. He's dropping all these truth bombs on the Pharisees and telling them about how evil and and wicked they are. And and it seems like Jesus is just doing this truth, 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 but but there's no grace in it. Like, like where's the the heart behind it, Jesus? So, and and GPT wasn't wrong. Like, let me give you some examples. Here's what Jesus says to the religious leaders. But woe to you. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you're like whitewashed tombs, 
which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. And Matthew 23 is a truth bomb after truth. Like Jesus doesn't hold back. He gives them the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. But where is the grace? Well, keep reading. Verse 37 of Matthew 23 says this. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and yet you were not willing? What is that? The heart, the motivation, the longing of Jesus as he brings these woes to these evildoers. Oh, I want you like a mother hen wants her chicks right by her side to protect them and care for them and love them. This is what I long for you, Jerusalem but you are not willing. There's a diagram I have uh, to help us maybe illustrate a little bit of this type of love that Jesus had, this, this love that was full of grace and full of truth. It's a, a Venn diagram. I like to use um, illustrations and diagrams like this because, I'm again, we're simple folk in mission, so we need stuff like this. Um, but... Sometimes we talk about the love of, of Christ or, or the love of Jesus or even the way that we're loving and, and like full grace, yeah, that, that's great. And then truth and their enemies, it, it's, it's just not true, right? We read through scriptures and we see that Jesus in every moment was always loving with the fullness of grace and the fullness of truth. Church, do you love like that? Is the love that you have for one another, is it the love that you share with your neighbor, is the love that marks you as a disciple of Jesus Christ a love that is full of grace and full of truth? You see, nothing less than a love marked by the fullness of grace and the fullness of truth sets Jesus' love apart from the love we experience in this world every single week. I have another diagram for us to help illustrate this a little bit further. See, I think sometimes we fall into the trap of not loving in the fullness of grace and the fullness of truth like Jesus does. But we tend to pursue relationships or act with others with a graceless truth or perhaps a truthless grace. And I want to talk to, I don't know, just like think about this for a little bit, right? So if, if grace is really high on the y-axis and, and truth is really high on, on the x-axis and, and that's where Jesus is, where do you find yourself? Are, are you kind of like, oh man, I love, I love the truth, I love the truth and like the whole grace thing, I think this world's gone soft, like we need more truth in this world. Maybe you find yourself in that camp. Or maybe you're like, I'm so tired of Christians just bashing people over the head with all the rules and the regulations and stuff. Like, we need, we need more grace. We need more grace in this. Like, I don't, I don't know where you, you find yourself on this camp, but I want to challenge each of you, whether you're in the red box or the blue box, okay? To my truthers, first and foremost, those of you who love to defend the truth, who love to stand on the truths of scriptures, who love righteousness and want to pursue it at all costs, who love being right and love handling the word of God correctly, who love to listen to the podcasts and the debates and the sermons and then love to send them to me. Thank you. Appreciate it. But, but seriously, I love you guys. Thank you. 
for standing up for truth, for longing to defend the beautiful doctrines and truths that we find in scripture. Our church needs you. But let me give you one warning. Let me, let me give you one challenge. Do not let your obedience to one aspect of the love of Christ allow you to justify your disobedience in the other. It is not right. It is not Christ-like to love with a graceless truth. You see, I think some of us who find ourselves in that camp do it for a few reasons. One of the big ones is that it allows us to keep sin at an arm's length and therefore sinners at an arm's length. We use the truth of God to build this beautiful wall around us and the grace and compassion that we might have for those is only available once you enter in through the gate. I grew up on a pig farm. Uh, Sorry, a hog farm. My dad would not be happy if I said pig farm. We grew up on a hog farm. And one of the things, uh, I learned two things about hogs. Number one, or pigs, uh, they're delicious. And number two is they stink. They have this wild odor that you cannot get off of your clothes or your skin, no matter what. If you just walk through the barn and you leave, you will smell bad. And I was picked on in school. Why? Because my parents made me do the chores in the morning and then I go to school and I stink and everyone's like, why does this kid smell? They they smell bad. Christian, in in this world, those of us who love the truth, I think sometimes we're afraid to smell a little bit like the world. We want to keep it at at arm's length and we want to be right and those are good and honorable things. And yet if it keeps us from showing the grace and the compassion of Jesus, we're missing the love that he has for us. We want to be in the world, not of the world. So we will smell like sin sometimes because we'll hang out with sinners sometimes and that's hard for us, but it is the call of Christ. Now to you gracers, okay? So moving on, if you're a truther, great, you can tune out for a little bit. The gracers, you who love to show compassion and mercy, you who are willing to drop everything on the drop of a hat to go serve others and to care for those who love, caring for the poor and the needy. Uh, I thank you so much for your, just your generosity. We have so many of you in, in Northview. I think of the pantry ministry that we do in, um, in, in mission. So many uh, of your donations and, and just your efforts go in support and, and bless the ability that we have to help uh, two. 200, 300 families every month in, in mission with groceries and a warm meal and, and some friendship because of, of, of those in our church who love the grace of Jesus Christ. Thank you. I love you people. We need you. And yet I do have a word of, of warning or, or a challenge to you as well. Don't allow your obedience to the call of Christ to be gracious and to love in that way. Justify your disobedience to the call to also be truthful, to be people of of righteousness, to to be people who love and are not afraid to proclaim the commands of Christ. You see, sometimes for those of us who find themselves in that grace camp, we we tend to do that, and and, and if it's truthless grace, we get to that point where it's like, oh my goodness, if if I share what the Bible says about this, or if I call out my, my friend in their sin on this, it might damage the relationship. It might harm how they think of me or, 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 or I don't know, maybe they'll get mad at me and it'll start a big fight. We are called to love in the fullness of grace and the fullness of truth. Do you love like that? 
I am convinced that our world is filled with people who love with truthless grace and who love with graceless truth. Oh man, I can't be on social media too much because I lack the self-control and it robs the joy from my soul, but I do hang out on Twitter every now and again or X or whatever it's called, and I can tell you this, there are so many people who have ditched truth for the sake of loving with just this anemic, uh, grace-based kind of love, and it is not helpful. It is not Christ-like. It is not the love of the Bible. And yet there's so many people too who take truth and whack it over people's heads and it's been robbed of its grace completely. Our world is filled with those two types of love and Jesus is calling us to a whole other type of love, one that is full of grace and full of truth. If we wanna stand out in this world, this is the love that we bring, the very love of Christ Jesus who came in the fullness of grace and the fullness of truth. I'll ask us one more time, do you love like this? It's been a challenging text for me personally to ponder and wrestle through. I probably land in the grace camp. I'm I'm a people pleaser. I prefer if people like me, and I know sometimes the truth can be hard to say and, and hard to receive. And so as I thought, I was like, Jesse, how do you grow in this? You, a new command, I give you Jesus' words to, to the disciples after he just said he's, he's going away. We, we gotta take this seriously. So, so what, do, what do we do? Maybe we just, you know, like stand up, suck it up. We're, we're gonna do this. Pull up the, the bootstraps or whatever they're called and, and let's go, let's white knuckle it. Our our application, the the answer to how do we move forward now, how do we love like this in our world is found, I think, in the conclusion of our passage this morning. Read, Read it along with me, starting in verse 36. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why? Why can I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. I will love you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. We're gonna look at Peter's denial of Jesus in subsequent sermons as we continue through the book of John and his ultimate restoration. And so I won't go there today, but one thing I do want us to emphasize is here is Peter, who hears that Jesus is going away and he says, not on my watch, I got this. I'm like the leader of the disciples, are you kidding me? This command, bring it on, I got this. Here's what we know, Jesus's words are perfectly true. Peter, not that much later, will be found around a fire and he will be adamantly denying he even knows this man. I I don't even know him. How dare you you associate me me with Jesus? I'm, I'm not one of his followers. The Gospel of Mark highlights that he even rains down curses. He curses Jesus. You see, Peter, who who thought he could muster in his own strength, in his own courage, could live faithfully out this commands of Jesus was a tragic failure. There was a pastor in Seattle several years ago uh, who wrote uh, 
this little, I don't know, poem or, or ballad or whatever they're called. Um, and, and he wrote it and it kind of became famous. And it's one of those things that like, kind of like puts a little uh, gas in the tank. I don't know, lights the fire. Like you, you feel good about it. So let me just read it to you. Uh, here, here's what he says. I am part of the fellowship of the unashamed. I have the Holy Spirit power. The die has been cast. I've stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I am a disciple of Jesus. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense and my pace is set. My gate is fast. My goal is heaven. My road is narrow. My way is rough. My companions are few. My guide is reliable. My mission is clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, deterred, lured away, turned back, diluted, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of adversity, negotiate at the table of the enemy, ponder at the pool of popularity, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, back up, let up, or shut up until I preached up, prayed up, paid up, stored up, and stayed up for the cause of Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. I must go until he returns, give until I drop, preach until I'll know, and work until he comes. I am part of the fellowship of the unashamed. Uh. Here's the thing. This pastor, not long after, was accused and convicted of molesting 17 young men. Would you call that meandering in the maze of mediocrity? Church, I share that with you for one reason. Do not leave here today thinking that the ability to love one another in the way that Jesus calls us to, is found in gritting it a little bit tighter, is found in some more disciplines in your life. Peter had to learn a valuable lesson, and so do we. He had to first be loved by Jesus with the fullness of his grace and the fullness of his truth. You see in verse 38, the beautiful irony of this passage. Jesus looks at him after, after Peter has just said, I will lay my life down for you. Jesus looks at him and says, will you really lay down your life for me? Peter first needed to meet the perfect grace and the perfect truth and the perfect love of Jesus so that he could then love others. We love because he first loved us, church, Christian person here who maybe doesn't know Jesus, have you understood, beheld, had revealed to you the love of Christ? That is our fuel, not our own strength, not anything in our flesh, but the spirit who opens our eyes, beholds the glory of Christ and helps us see that on the cross of Christ, on the glorious cross of Christ was perfect grace and perfect truth. Jesus willing to lay down his life for people like you and people like me, not because we deserve it. Unmerited favor, grace, and perfect truth. Perfect truth. His last words on the cross, it is finished. No more condemnation for those who call themselves Christians, who are found in the love of Christ. Perfect grace and perfect truth. Have you received it? Follow in his steps so the world might know we are his disciples. Let me pray for us. Oh, Father, we are so grateful 
Oh, we don't even have words that can describe our gratitude, our thanksgiving, our adoration for the love that you have for us in your son, Jesus. Father, I'm so thankful for the model that we have in him, that we can see in him a, a man, a fully God, fully man, flesh human being who came to this earth and lived out this love that was full of grace and full of truth. And Father, in our own hearts, and our own lives, we see that we do not measure up. Father, for those of us who love the truth, for those of us who hold so tightly to the truth, uh, we thank you and we praise you for that. And yet, Father, for those of us who have done that and have, have neglected grace, who have done it in, in a way that is not gracious, would you forgive us? Father, help us to grow more and more like your son, Jesus. Father, and, and for those of us who, who are gracious to all, who love grace and are scared sometimes to be as truthful as you call us to be, would you forgive us? Father, and I pray that you would grow us also into the likeness of Christ so that we might love our brothers and sisters in Christ particularly and also those in our world, our neighbors, our friends, our coworkers with this otherworldly love that they might know we belong to you, Father, and that they might come to know you. Father, we thank you for sending your son, Jesus, who was full of grace and full of truth for us. And Father, we ask and we pray all of these things in his beautiful and his holy and his wonderful name, Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior.